Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. And today we have a special edition to share. At the end of August, we were invited to do a live session of the Nonprofit Radio Show at the Idaho Nonprofit Center Conference. Just like we did in February, we took live questions and answered them on the spot. We also made sure we had space to learn from the wisdom of the audience, because we know anytime you get a virtual room of nonprofit professionals together, there's a lot of knowledge to share. We're excited to share now this special episode with you, and we thank the audience at the Idaho Center for Nonprofits Conference for helping create it with their great questions and dialogue about virtual fundraising, connecting your purpose to your community, boards, and so much more. Let's give a listen. We're excited for this live show. This is being recorded on Zoom with a live audience. So folks, some of you are going to hear this well after the fact and just know that we're here with a beautiful group of people here in Idaho. We'll be sharing this as a podcast episode. So we'll do our best to describe the facial expressions and body language of the people who are listening today. Anything we need to describe yet? Gosh, I see a lot of smiling faces. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be with you all. So Sarah, tell us about the radio show because some of these folks may not know about us. That's right. So we started the radio show back in 2020. Uh, Nancy and I have been colleagues for a long time. I'm a very practical practitioner. And Nancy is this incredible visionary who has an ability to see up a three or four elevations higher than I do about what's happening in nonprofits and in the world. And we used to have these big conversations about, gosh, it's so hard for small rural nonprofits to find all the resources and to sort through the maze of offerings. And sometimes you just want 10 or 15 minutes of help. So we came up with the idea of the radio show of trying every couple of weeks to post something that we think is on the minds of organizations that are might be small might be rural, might be looking for just a little bit of help every once in a while, but most of all, a whole lot of encouragement because we think small nonprofits do pretty amazing work. So enough about us. We want to know about you. So I have the chat box right here on the side and I want to know who you are. So please use the chat box right now to introduce yourself, your organization, and where you are in the state. Let's get a little geography lesson of Idaho here. Let's see who is with us. You may also not be in Idaho. I see friends from Washington. I see, I know we have friends from other places. So who do we have with us? Oh my gosh, Laura is here from the Idaho Public TV. Thank you so much for your service. Bear Lake here, fantastic. River Discovery in Boise. So, you know, we could just be quiet right now. There's so much knowledge in this room. You are such all an absolute amazing group of folks, and we're just so excited to be with you all. And we hope that today, you know, we'll offer the answers that we have, but we totally don't necessarily know all the answers all the time. So if someone asks a question today that you feel like you actually have um, some answers to, we hope you're going to chime in and, and help us answer these questions. One of the things I've learned about being in the nonprofit sector for a long time is there are many different ways to get to the right outcome. And sometimes you just need to hear a few of them to decide which ones fit you and your organization. Oh, absolutely. So this is how this is going to work. Some of you ask questions on the Whova app, and I have documented those. I also have the chat box right here. And so we're going to be 
answering your questions live. We're going to take your questions and we're going to answer them. We have not prepared a darn thing other than my cool pictures here. I'll be moderating. We'll be doing this as we go along. We welcome your questions. You can write them in the chat box. We will be asking you to unmute yourself if you ask a particularly awesome question because we get sick of our own voices. We love our listeners and they love to hear different voices as well. But there's a cornerstone piece that Sarah's going to tell you right now. Yes. And that is, there are just a handful of kind of key principles that we've discovered uh, in the nonprofit radio show. And I just want to run through them with you right now, and then you'll hear them come up in our answers. The first is we believe every small nonprofit organization needs to live your values. Your organization's values are what you believe is important to your mission, and they're the signposts that guide your organization through decision-making. So as an organization, you should always be talking about your values and then make sure you're actually demonstrating those values in all of your work, in the way you treat your employees, in the way you treat your volunteers. Are you showing the world your core values? You should also always know your purpose. I use this face lotion that's actually called purpose. And a very funny thing in my household is when I misplace it, I run around saying, I've lost my purpose. Um, But (laughs) Purpose is why you do something. It's not just a face lotion. Um, And an organization has a purpose. That's your mission, why you exist, the difference you hope to make. But so do meetings, programs, events. They all have a purpose. There's a why to why you're actually investing time and energy and resources into them. And one of the things we always, always encourage is before you embark on any endeavor, you make sure you know your purpose. Ah, and my puppy is going to bring in his squeaky toy at this exact moment because that's that's the way my day is going. Um, a third principle, sorry about that, is that it's always all about people, no matter what your mission is. My, I happen to work for an environmental organization. What we do, though, is still always about people. People are at the center of your success. And these can be the people inside your organization, like board members, staff, or volunteers, or they can be the people outside of your organization, like the people you serve or policymakers. It's when you bring people together that you build a movement. And that is what we always aim for. We also always encourage that every organization have a strategy. The strategy is that really magical bridge between where you are now and where you want to be. You actually have to think that through sometimes. Oftentimes I notice in the nonprofit world, I just go straight to doing and I don't spend a lot of time aiming. And so I try to remind myself all the time that strategy comes first, even if you only spend a few minutes on it, confirming, you know, that purpose and then how you're going to get there. We have two more principles. One is to always run a good program. So whatever that is, if it's a meeting, if it's an educational effort, if it's an event, you're always better off making sure you've thought through everything and you run one good one than running 12 not so good ones. Good programs are what give your organization a good reputation. And the good reputation is what makes you sustainable over time. And finally, a really important golden rule on the nonprofit radio show, especially since we tend to have an audience of small nonprofit organizations, is make it doable. There is so much burnout in the small nonprofit world, and we just can't sustain that. We're doing important and good work. And sometimes we get so passionate about what we want to get done and how fast we want to do it and how we can just change the world that we lose sight of keeping it doable. And the best way we can make change is to be around and sustainable for a long time. 
So you'll often hear us in our tips today and in our answers, maybe not going for, well, here's the perfect way you could do this, but maybe here's the good enough way you could do something so that it remains sustainable. I love that. So we've kind of created a bingo card here, but it's it's only six. So, you know, we've made it easy. You only have to get two to get bingo here. So keep tracking as we go. I'd just be curious, use the chat box here. Which one of these is the one that you think you really should think a little bit more about, that it really resonates with you and what you're thinking about? Live your values, know your purpose. It's about people, strategy, run good programs, or make it doable. Which is the one that you want to just hold on to and think about the most? Strategy, strategy, know your purpose. What else? It is about people. I know in my board class, I've often said, wouldn't this work be so much easier if there were no people involved? (laughs) Oh, but that's not the point, Nancy. (laughs) God, you're right. You are so right. Well, so I want to dive in right right off the bat. We got some questions already. Well, let's hear it. Take them. Let's go. So, and, And I also want to just recognize we have so many experts in the room. You are all experts. So this chat box is a very dynamic place to be. So as we talk, I want to see some hallelujahs or some, this is what we tried or, or whatever. Okay. Energy here. Okay. Sarah, the question that's on everyone's mind, we seem to be going into another year of COVID. We thought 2021 was back to normal, but here we are. So let's talk for a second here. Rachel asked on Hoopa about virtual fundraisers. What should we be thinking about? What is most successful? What is your dog squeaking in the back about virtual fundraisers? My goodness. So virtual fundraisers are start with the very same principles as in-person fundraisers, which always mean you're trying to convey your organizational values and make a match with a donor who shares those values. That's just the basis of everything to do with fundraising, right? So the same thing is true when you're in a virtual world. You have to think about how do I convey our organization's values, our mission, our movement? How do I show that? We're eating a piece of paper behind me. And how do we um, and how do I convey that then through a virtual medium to the donors who want to signal that they share those values? So when I think about a virtual fundraiser, I think about what's the message? What is it I'm hoping that a person will want to do? What action am I hoping they will take? Sometimes I think I just want them to get to know us better. Sometimes I think I want them to actually donate. Sometimes I think I want them to spread the word to someone else. So I get really clear at the beginning about the purpose. And then I start thinking about, well, what are the right strategies? How do I, if I'm, for example, a food bank and one of my our organization's key values is that we serve everyone, then I want to be thinking in the virtual world about how do I explicitly show that we serve everyone? And how do I pick a platform, a virtual platform that might actually in some way reach everyone? Because that's a way to live the value of of the organization. So I think through, okay, what are my options, especially if events are limited? So if we're, if we're forced to do something that is not live, then what's the right platform? So you get to know who your audience is, what do they like to use? And then you always think about who doesn't like the virtual world and how will I translate this for them? So if you end up doing a virtual event, sometimes you can supplement that with a short little video afterwards that you can then email 
or you can put on a thumb drive and send to someone, or you can snap a still photograph from, you know, just take your camera and take a picture of the screenshot of that virtual event and then share it with those who don't have it. So again, you're thinking about what your values are and then trying to figure out how do I pick a platform that works for everyone in my organization. Virtual fundraising events, again, focus first and foremost on your mission and the movement you're trying to build. And I worry less about the cute bells and whistles. I think it's a fairly rare instance when something vile takes off that's really unrelated to your mission. Like, uh, what was it a few years ago, Nancy? Uh, the ice bucket The ice challenge. bucket challenge, of course. Yeah. Right. Right, right. And then lots of people tried to come up with a similar one. And it's a little bit in my mind, like rolling the dice, like you can come up with a, a gimmick like that, that maybe then ends up um, backfiring, like no one does it, right? So those are fine. If you have a really creative idea, and you know, someone in your organization, it has everything, all the tools they need to pull it off. Great. But I'm a big fan of simple. Mm. I'm a big fan of just keeping it to what is it you want to convey? And then what's a medium and a format that authentically will reach your audience? I, I love that. And, you know, I, I just want to pause for a second. I have one, some thoughts I want to share as well, but you've been doing this for a year. So folks, let's hear from you. Put in the chat box, what have you learned about virtual events? What's been successful for you? Share that. What has worked? You've been doing this. Icebreakers, always have plan B and C. I love that. And maybe D, E, and F as well, right? Right. And Amanda Gardner, would you speak a little bit more about icebreakers? Would you unmute yourself? And what have you been doing with icebreakers? How have you used icebreakers? Would you mind unmuting yourself and talking about that? Yeah, I think for me, I've always found them helpful to kind of find something for everyone to connect on. It kind of literally breaks the ice, like you use them in person, but virtually that's still something you can kind of have access to. So I found it useful. Most of my gatherings or meetings virtually have been relatively small. So it often leads to deeper conversation, which sometimes just kind of naturally flows the conversation into where the intention was to be anyway. So <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I see, you know, Rebecca is chiming in with small, intimate, informal virtual gatherings. So that small thing is, is something that actually allows for probably much more connection than you ever had in your big ballroom galas or your large outdoor picnics or whatever it is that you were doing. You know, Dave's talking about fundraising may not be the only reason to do them. And, you know, I love how Sarah always talks about movement building and that fundraising is really probably the last thing. Well, maybe not the last, but it's really towards the end of the line in terms of building that movement, isn't it, Sarah? I'm just taken by Greg's comment here about just feeling free to try creative approaches. Our best pandemic event was a pop-up drive-in movie in the middle of a snowstorm. Um, which sounds like a ton of fun. And I, yeah, I want to build on that and that notion that when we do have external circumstances like COVID that none of us are still used to, you get a little freedom to be creative. And I think donors or potential donors are, there's a much wider band of grace that they'll give you to try something. So when you're experimenting with something, the question is, does it feel authentic? Are we not doing something because someone else did it and we're trying to make it ours, but we're doing it because it feels like us and our organization? And does it offer an opportunity to express 
what we do, to show what we do. And that's where I think Rebecca's comment about small works really well. This is actually an amazingly wonderful time to get one-on-one meetings with donors. They are much more receptive to meeting with you now than they were when there were 85 events to go to. Plus, the meeting can be quite simple. It can be at home, you know, with their dog. Um, It doesn't have to be this formal meeting. So I've found in my own fundraising that I have a much easier time saying, hey, do you want to hop on Zoom for 15 minutes with me or on the phone and actually meet person to person? Or if you have someone who doesn't do any of those things, but who is willing to meet outside, it's also a great time to stop by and and sit on a porch with someone one-on-one. And so While we all are craving getting together and gathering, I do think we have a really unique window right now to do one-on-one or, you know, very small group asks in a way that used to be, you know, that used to be the number one question we get asked is how how on earth do I get someone to take a meeting with me? I think you asked for one now and, and people are craving talking to people who help them remember there is a lot of good in the world and a lot of impact to be made in the world. I think about in our episode 18, we talked about purposeful gathering. So if you want to drill deeper into this, go back to episode 18. And we were talking a lot about that intimacy that we have in this two-dimensional world. I know we think, oh, online, like I don't have that chemistry. I don't have that connection with people. And yet I'm looking at all your faces and I'm seeing all of you pretty much the same size, the same level of connection. There's no one at the back of the room here. You're all equally really close and proximate to me and my thinking. And I think that's really powerful. There's an advantage there to the online world. The other piece is that we can use time in different ways, right? That I think it was Kim who talks about, you know, doing stuff at home. So you can separate in the the wonky words are asynchronous and synchronous, but you pull out the what can be done separate from when we're together and then what what we do when we're together. And so that's something to think about across the board on virtual events. I know a nonprofit executive director who put the reports in an asynchronous form. And now when the board comes together online, it's only to talk to each other. So think about how you pull apart time and space. And, you know, someone, uh, Betsy, I think said, help me, help me get my head around a pivot of an event that was going to be live in just a couple of weeks, you know, is now going online. Help me. She had a contingency plan, which all of us should always have for any fundraising activity right now. Um, but she had one, but, you know, you still have to make that mental shift. And, you know, Betsy, I think my best advice is that you take a deep breath always. That's a, always a good thing. Let yourself mourn just a little bit for the loss, because especially those of us that do fundraising, we love being in a room full of people, right? I mean, there's energy and passion and you realize how many people care about your mission. It's awesome, right? So give yourself a minute or two to be like, that's sad. I'm sad that event isn't happening. And then you shift your own mindset to, okay, what what's good about this? Like who might we actually get to come to this event who wouldn't have come in person? I have been surprised at some donors I've had who I've never seen at an event who will actually participate on a Zoom or a, you know other platformed event like this because they don't have to go out. They don't have to get dressed up or whatever it was that was making them shy about being engaged. So start to look at the positives. Like how could I actually 
reach some new folks. Two, how can I give time in that online event for people to interact with each other? Um, We've learned with our events that we actually have to let the first 10 minutes just be various people waving at each other like, oh, Catherine, I haven't seen you in a while. (laughs) Like, you got a haircut. And, you know, the kind of exchange that normally would happen in an event, it's kind of cacophonous on Zoom, but it's a touch point for people and that matters to them too. And then three, be thinking about how you can use the event to reach all those who who couldn't come. So again, that screenshot of look at 80 people joined us on Zoom last week to learn about how to be bear aware in the woods and you know, you couldn't be there, but here's the information. It actually opens up a, a world for your event to have multiplier impact uh, down the road. Well, we could talk about virtual events all day, but I'm about to put Tim on the spot. So Tim, find your unmute button because you're, you asked a really good question. And I, I say this also, I, I'm looking for all of your other questions for all of you here, but Tim is asking a question that cuts from purpose to knowing your community and all that. So Tim, would you ask your question for us? How do we ensure that our purpose is community driven and not organizationally driven? And when you mentioned that earlier, Sarah, I was just, that's something I'm always trying to be really aware of is that especially staff or board can get really entrenched in what they think a need is or what their purpose is, and then forget that they barely serve the community. So I'm just, I would love to hear your, your insights there. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. So, what do you think? Question. So, I'm going to steal a Nancy Bacon answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime yeah. someone thinks they've come up with a with a purpose, I think the very next question to be asked is either "so what" or "why." So, we need to do this event because we haven't reached out to people in two months. Well, that's a very organizational need, <laughs> right? And and it may have have good reason, but the question is, so what? And then you dig deeper. Well, if we haven't reached out to them in two months, they might have forgotten about us. So what? Well, if they forget about us, then they're not able to help advocate for the change we need to make or donate to us or, you know, whatever, whatever that so what is. And you kind of work your organization into answering the question, does this have a community impact that matters to us? Or is it just an organizational need. And I have, it sounds super simple, but it is an incredibly powerful exercise to go through with a group of people. And sometimes it takes about eight levels of so what, and people start to get a little frustrated. But at some point you hit the magic point where it either becomes absolutely apparent that there is a perfect reason why this is helpful to your community, or it becomes really apparent that it's just an organizational need and maybe you need to reframe from there. I have another thought, Nancy, but do you want to add on to that one at all? Yeah. So, I mean, really the fundamental question here is how connected are you with your community? Like, how do you know at all what your community needs? So a a nonprofit comes out of the community to solve a problem. And so you create a mission and then the rest of your life, you're focused on that mission to the detriment sometimes of that larger community. So what are the levers by which we connect with our community? One lever is your board. Does your board really come from the community, represent the community? Is it that connection of the organization to the community and the community to the organization? It's supposed to be a two-way bridge. And is your board serving in that function? I also just, how much is, 
are you listening and learning from your community? How, how plugged in are you? Are you just pushing through with your mission and making it happen? Or are the, you know, do you have a culture of reflection, a culture of learning, a culture of listening? building that into your program design and that. So I think you're asking a really important question about how connected are you with your larger community? Right. So what do you think? Yeah. And then, you know, I always think it's really important to be really intentional about questions like this. And so, you know, my organization makes sure we do some focus groups every couple of years out in the community, just asking really broad, open questions about what do you hope for the future of X, Y, or Z. And that's a great way to to gain information. Sometimes I also ask individual board members to call individual supporters, maybe someone who's been a supporter for 10 years, and maybe someone who just volunteered for you for the first time and ask them a series of questions like, why does this matter to you? A really brilliant question to ask is, what do you think my organization does? It can be incredibly humbling when you realize what they think you do as compared to what you think you do. (laughs) Um, And um, and that can be a telltale sign, you know, and ask them, what do you think what we do is important? I think just getting maybe making a plan with here's some moments we're going to expend a lot of organizational energy to go out and really find this. And then here's some quick and easy ones. I mean, most board members are thrilled to talk to constituents or people that you serve or people in your community if they don't have to ask them for money. It's a great opportunity to engage board members, especially new board members. And you just pick three or four simple questions and you'll get a wealth of information and sort of that steady stream. You know, the focus groups every couple of years is great for like a big moment of do we need to shift or pivot in some way, but that steady stream of maybe once a quarter, just asking um, board members to help reach out, keeps them engaged and keeps you connected to the community. It was a great question. It is a great question. So while the rest of you post a new question in that chat box, I want to bring up a question Mary Beth asked on the Whova site, because it's a great question. And I had a first response and now I'm having a secondary response. So Sarah, this is going to go off script a little bit here. But the question was, with COVID, whose advice do we follow? CDC? local government, or do we follow kind of the will of our people or the culture of our people, you know, what our people most want? So as an organization, you're public facing, you have to manage, you know, COVID, whose guidelines do you follow? And the first reaction I had was, you know, I am not an attorney. Sarah is not an attorney. Please don't take anything I say as legal advice, because that is not us. But Again, like Tim's question, the question brings up a lot of threads that I think are important to pull on. And so I want to mention what some of those threads are. The first thread is board. You know, your board ultimately has responsibility for your organization. So your board needs to be wrestling with this question. You know, whose guidelines do we follow? How do we make decisions around COVID? You know, what are our values? And we've talked a lot about, you know, what are your North Stars? What are your priorities? What fits for us? So the board. The board is one thread to pull on. And Nancy, that that's an important thread because if it's structured correctly, your board does represent your community, right? It may have opposing views or different perspectives. And so if, if your board really is a diverse representation of the community that you serve, then you will get all of those perspectives out when you have that discussion. So you're starting to see how this all weaves together with purpose and values and board recruitment and all that. So another thread that I just want to pull on, and that is one that I've been having a lot of conversations about, but that a lot of nonprofit folks aren't thinking enough about, 
And that is risk. What is your culture around risk? And how do you think about risk? How do you think about what are the biggest risks across the board, operationally, financially, disaster related? What are your risks? And how are you reducing the risks? How are you leaning into the opportunities that sometimes come with risk? What is your culture around risk? And nonprofits generally tend to be pretty risk adverse, right? Or risk silent. Sarah, am I right? Like We're like, let's not talk about it. <laughs> let's pretend it doesn't happen. Yeah, our people are good. They don't commit fraud, that kind <laughs> of thing. So bringing up risk as a healthy thing to be talking about. We want to lean into conversations about risk. And that can happen across the board, not just with the board, but with everyone. And the third piece that I think about, and this is why I love working with the Idaho Nonprofit Center, because of the role for advocacy in this, that I know that nonprofit state associations have stepped forward in an advocacy frame around what are the public policies that we need to support the people that we serve. So those are the three threads that I think about, board risk and advocacy. You know, you're sitting right within a nonprofit. What? How does your thinking happen with all these guidelines and all that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there is one answer. I think it is this, as I think Rebecca pointed out, this mix of all, and we definitely rely on our board, but we have an intentional conversation. This kind of goes back to strategy, I'd say, as a principle. Like we actually talk about it. We don't just let staff worry and think, oh, it's on me to decide. And I don't know. You know, it's it, this is a perfect board meeting conversation. <laughs> what is our risk level? Where are we? How, what do we? And to be thoroughly honest about it, right? There's both risks in terms of your safety of your community, but there are also risks in terms of your reputation or perception. And you want to have that conversation wholeheartedly with your board and your staff so that everyone feels like, yep, we can be on the same page about it. That feels like you know, the most important thing. Certainly you have to follow if there are legal guidelines, you have to follow those. But in this kind of gray area we're in right now, this feels like a really awesome opportunity for your organization to have a, a good, deep, heartfelt conversation about risk. I love that. So I want to turn the questions back to you all. So again, turn to your chat box. As we go into the fall, it's September 1st. What keeps you up at night? What is most on your mind when you think about your nonprofit, the next year coming up? What is most on your mind? What do you lie in bed like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Catherine, can I ask you to unmute yourself and explain a little bit more about what you're thinking there? Uh, yes. Uh, so I'm Catherine Smith from Idle Falls Downtown Development, and I worry a lot about our level of staff exhaustion with the work that we're doing. We manage the business improvement district for downtown, and we also manage parking for our downtown. And one of our core values is outstanding customer service. And we're in this climate that I don't see going away with downtown. I don't want to say downtown, but just people in general are on edge. We have people that are quick to anger and I, I think that that's with the general public, but also, you know, our downtown businesses have done awesome with the pandemic. They've pivoted, but everyone's exhausted and there's no end in sight. So I worry a lot about what, how long can we maintain this level <laughs> of performing really well uh, mm -hmm. without any hiccups? And how much longer can I keep being nice to people when they're yelling at me? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well. Well, there's some <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think we've all had that level of 
fatigue around, you know, creativity fatigue, rewrite fatigue, service fatigue. Like, I mean, how many times can you rewrite something or redo something and tensions are high? Yeah. So just showing up every day is what I worry about. Yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts and I bet others on uh, in this room do too. So first is, again, I'm all about just being intentional and straightforward. And I have found with my staff that there is sometimes nothing better than the surprise meeting with chocolate or whatever, you know, whatever the thing is, ice cream, whatever. And you just stop and you just say, hey, I know that people are yelling at you <laughs> or, or I know you've had to be incredibly creative and it's a random Tuesday and we didn't call this meeting ahead of time, but I just want to stop and say, thank you. And I've gotten a board member or two to write a note to the staff. And so then at a meeting like that, you can read it and say, Hey, you know, from a board perspective, we know how hard you're working and it matters. Sometimes, sometimes, honestly, just that little bit of recognition is such an ego boost or a a revitalization boost. But I also think it's important to have then an honest conversation among your staff about, okay, what do each of you need? Like, like we're all different. You know, I may need to just leave at five o'clock and go for a walk. That's how I'll process things. And someone else might need to come talk to you and talk it through after they got yelled at because it hurt it hurt them. We're, we're really different. And I, we at one point when we were remote, we just met with each staff person remotely and asked like, how are you feeling? And what kind of support do you need? And then I had a little list and I knew that certain people wanted me to, you know, email the pep talk or give them a call with the pep talk. And other people wanted to just have me say, it's okay. It's okay for you to go for a walk. Now you don't have to, you don't have to be doing something every second of the day that I know that'll help you catch your breath, but it's really respectful. I think to ask them what, you know, what is it you think you, you need? And then that surprise, I'm all about the surprise gratitude attack, you know, that just like, Whoa, that caught me off guard. And it means someone was thinking of me. I also, in one of my first jobs, I had a a boss who ran a huge, it was a big, big, big organization. And he, he used to pen a handwritten note to people. And you always knew if you got a a letter with the blue ink pen, that was his special pen, you had done something amazing. And it was usually something small in my case, like I filed something in the right place, but he noticed and it, and it mattered and it definitely was an uplifting thing. So I think sometimes just those, those little pieces and then asking people directly what they need or want. There is that time. When do you lean in and when do you lean out? I think that is helpful. And I, I just think having, I think culturally, we all had a whole lot of empathy when COVID started. And I feel that that empathy is fraying. I feel patience with each other is fraying. And so that's where really holding on to your own values so that you're you're at least staying kind of on track. And, and I also feel having colleagues, having peers, you know, where you have other folks who do your job to just say, wow, that was a hard day. Because it's one thing, you know, Sarah's talking about how you support other folks. You need support yourself. So making sure that you have the network, you have the colleagues. That's why conferences like this are so helpful. So Sarah, you had some thoughts on Amanda's question. Amanda Gardner asked about the to-do list. Yes. And then I think later we get into the, someone else asked about the balancing remote and home and, and then the whole, how the cell phone is now with you all the time and like, ah, and I think they're all semi-related. So I will admit that this is advice that I give freely that I am not always good at taking. So full disclosure, but I'm certain I would be better if I took it more often. And when I do take it, I really appreciate it. So I separate my to-do list 
into the quadrants of what absolutely must happen today. I don't even think about two days from now. Is there something that just, if it does not happen by the end of day, Wednesday, my world stops or someone else's world who's relying on me stops. There's that. Then I make sure there's something in the quadrant of what is it I would like to do today, right? We all need a portion of our day that's filled with something that actually brings us joy. So for me, it's talking to people. If I spent the entire day doing a database activity, even though that would be entirely useful and helpful for my organization, it would not make me happy. So I have a few things in the quadrant of, gosh, for today, there's there's something that actually would make me happy to do that would progress the organization. Then there's the list of what's hard and what have I been ignoring? <laughs> um, and I think all of us, if we're honest, admit that there are these things on our to-do list that we just kind of keep pushing down, pushing down, <laughs> pushing down. And I try to look at each day and think, okay, I can do one of them. I can, I can, I can do this. I can, I can, you know, get up all the courage I need and I can do one of those things today. And then, and this is the quadrant that never gets put on anyone's list. And that is, what's the thing I could do that is not currently on fire? It does not have to happen today. But boy, if I just got started with it today, I would really help move our organization forward. Because for me, those are the things that I just honestly never get to on my to-do list. And they're sometimes the most important things laying that foundation and groundwork for your organization that you can do. So I like to to take, you know, my to-do list for the week or forever. You're like, here's everything I must do. And I just break it down day by day because I I sometimes can't function beyond today. And then I think to myself, okay, do I have this mix of something I enjoy, something I'm avoiding, (laughs) um, things I have to do because they're just time sensitive. And then what's something good for my movement or my organization that I could at least get started on today. And then you leave the day feeling pretty full. The other thing I do, and again, I caveat that I claim I do it. I don't do it as disciplined as I should, um, is I schedule time in my calendar for the most dreaded tasks. So I'm terrible at keeping things up in my fundraising database, for example. And I do try to set aside time almost like it's a meeting, like on Thursday at one, I will spend an hour putting stuff into the database that I need to put into the database. I will end at that hour. So I know it doesn't go on forever, (laughs) but I at least have it in there. And, And I, at least when the little meeting reminder pops up on my computer screen, I feel compulsive that I must go do whatever that says I should do. That gets me going. So those are my thoughts on sort of managing the time part. We can talk after Nancy gets a chance a little bit more about how to manage that home life work balance piece too. Yeah. Well, I want to turn it all back to you before I say anything. So all you all, how are you managing uh, your to-do list? How are you managing that homework balance? I want to hear your thoughts because you're now one year into this. What are you doing to, to take care of yourself and to manage all this? Trying to create boundaries. Yeah. I get more massages. Excellent. Yeah, that's good. You know, I'm going to be a big proponent of the walk or the sit outside on a bench or uh, whatever your physical capabilities allow for you to get some air every once in a while. I think that that is remarkable sometimes how just that change of scenery really can change your mindset. I read a fascinating book this summer about a woman who was a, she was from Greece and she was a marathon runner. And when her day didn't, it didn't matter what time of the day, but if something went wrong in the day and she just sort of felt herself kind of getting more and more in that spiral of everything is not working, she literally would stop what she was doing, put on her pajamas, 
climb into bed for five minutes, get up and say, it's a new day, and then get dressed again and do something different. And her point was just physically changing something can snap you out of the kind of spiral we can get in. So especially when you're working from home and then the dishes are right behind you or your puppy is right at your feet, sometimes you just need to literally shift the scenery. So you know, maybe you don't crawl into bed, but but maybe you go sit outside for just a second or just open a window and breathe in the air. And it feels like it's a waste of time, right? We're all like, we got to get all this done. But sometimes that five minutes just completely transforms your ability, but it has to be something that's like a shock to the system. I like, this is different. I didn't just, you know, carry my computer to the other side of the couch. I really did something fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. You know, I just last hour attended a a learning session on habits. Mm. And so let's just think for two seconds. And Sarah's totally talking about habits here. That Greek runner has a habit. That's what she does. There's a cue. She feels stressed. Her action is to put on her pajamas and get into bed. And the reward is she comforts herself. So I think if you think about, you know, what are all the habits that you currently have that you wish that you could change? or that you think are, is great and you want to lean into it and do more of it and really break it down. So write down the habit and make three columns. So you can write this down. You have your cue, what triggers that, you know, you know, to lean into that habit, the action, what is the action that you take and then reward? What do you get for following that action? And we all know this, like I always have a piece of chocolate after lunch. And so cue is I finish my lunch action. I eat chocolate reward. I'm happy. You know, so you, so you think about that. And so then think about what do you do when somebody texts you at 7 p.m.? Because we've now given everybody our cell phone numbers. That could happen. What is your, the cue is the text comes in. Your action is, do you read it? You respond to it? Because you know they're just going to text back, right? So, so just be mindful of what are the habit loops that are in your life that you want to affect And um, by making them explicit, you might be able to impact them. We only have a few minutes left. So I want to bring up one more point. And I think it's Dave who talked about board recruitment. Dave, would you be willing to unmute yourself and talk just for a second? What is your, you said that board recruitment keeps you up at night. Can you frame that? You know, what exactly about board recruitment keeps you up at night? Yeah, for me, with board recruitment, I, I came into this position a year ago and sometime before I got here, uh, we put uh, our board put in term limits, but oh. as it works out, seven of my long-term board members who have been here 10 to 13 years each are all going off at the end of the year. So I got that going for me. But um, so what really is my concern is, you know, holy Moses, that's, that's like a hundred years of <laughs> hundred years of institutional knowledge. Plus the fact that now I've got to recruit people and, I've got to recruit the right people, but knowing that, you know, you're going to miss on some, it's just, just the nature yeah. of the beast. Oh, so, Dave, uh, this is so full of good stuff. Thank yeah. you. So oh, Dave, can I yeah. ask a quick yeah, question? Yeah, it's awesome. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> do you have, do you have any board members staying on who've been on a long time or is the whole slate gone? Well, no, no, it's uh, the term limits are, you know, if you've been on for three, for three terms, which is nine years, yeah. you're, you're out. Personally, I would have done it differently, but that's irrelevant. Yeah, uh, I do. I, you know, that's it's it's about at one time it was about half of my board, but we've added a few people in the last six months, three months mm-hmm. or so, and so it's it's not so 
So bad. And we've got people in the pipeline. It's just a matter of getting people, you know, meeting and getting them approved. And then they got to go to the board and yeah. yada, yada, yada. And I have another, so, another quick question for you before we jump in with our thoughts. Um, do the board members see this as a concern or are those seven or eight, like we're a done, we're so done. We need to be done. Depends on the board member. There are some who are some, some do some, some see this and say, okay, yeah, let's go. Yeah. And others are like, yeah, I was out last year. Okay. Yep. So we have five minutes for a, a quick response here, Sarah. You go first. And I just want to acknowledge that I'm a mind reader and I can also read the chat box. And Rebecca Zanata, our dear colleague, is suggesting to create the stagger That's now. I and thought. I love that. So yeah. I just want to call that. That's forward. what I was gonna say. Want- I think seeing this happen in organizations, they pass the term limit. You can they can also pass something that says if we're going to lose more than X percent of our board at a certain time, we will, with a majority vote of the board, agree to keep X number of people on so that we have a stagger. You know, the term limits work great when they're created at the beginning and there's some sense of stagger. Like, so you're always turning over maybe a quarter of your board at a time every year. So it sounds like this was created as just like a harsh cliff that same board could say the harsh cliff is a little too harsh right now. And so because we're losing more than 50% of the board or whatever the, the magic number is, we'll elect to keep two or three of those people on for organizational memory for you know one year or two years so that you create the right stagger going forward. Um, and then I would always pick the board members who actually want to stay on. And even if you have a board member who's awesome, <laughs> that's why I asked the question about, you know, do they all just want to be done? You never want board members who want to be done. So you know you'd keep the organizational memory and those who still feel like, yeah, I'm I'm a live candidate here for it. So that's my suggestion. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. That's great. I, I like those a lot. Fortunately on our board, uh, you don't have to actually be a board member to be on a committee. And frankly, that's where the rubber hits the road. So um, there's an option there. And that's where I was going to go. And that's true for all boards, except for, I mean, there are the bylaws, but in general, a, a nonprofit can have a committee to do something and you don't have to be a board member to be part of that committee. So this would be an awesome time. And I don't know enough about what you do, but I'm just going to throw out some ideas. You can have an advisory committee. You could have a program committee that engages them. You could have you know, some, you know, kind of historical committee or somebody who, I guess, you know, in an advisory way, you know, there's lots of different ways to engage people. And in fact, the board is only one of many ways that you can engage people. You know, there's volunteering, there's committees, there's just pure advising. So all is not lost, Dave. (laughs) Of course not. Of course not. But the Jake, I'm a good sleeper anyway, so it doesn't totally keep me up at night. But when I am up at night, this is what I'm thinking about. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then onto the recruitment end of things, you know, I would actually really encourage you to use this as a great opportunity to think about is my board, the board I, we're going to build, how can it be as representative as possible of your community and then of those you serve or, um, you know, what, whatever the right designation is, but really use this as an opportunity. Don't just ask those board members leaving who should take my place because mm-hmm. that keeps us all in the same bubble, right? Really use this as an opportunity to be like, hey, you know, we've never reached out to someone who receives our services. Maybe we should have 
someone on our board, or we've never reached out to someone who lives over here. Maybe we should, you know, again, it all depends on your mission and and how that works, but it could be a really awesome opportunity to get a new perspective on your work and to answer that original question way back on how do you know if your purpose is for your organization or for your community? You know, it can be a great opportunity to see something new. Yeah. And this is the exciting part is there, there are opportunities to make it better. And, and that's, I, what I stress about is maximizing those opportunities because there are a lot of great ones there, which Absolutely. I feel I'm in a good spot. I just need to be able to take advantage of it. Yep. And you're going to, you're going to do awesome. And I want to just, you know, we have several episodes in the nonprofit radio show about boards. I think about the one where we responded to Joan Gary, who's a nonprofit person. And she talked about what if we had no board? Can, can we imagine, you know, nonprofits without boards? And some people would say, Yahoo, we'd get so much more done. But in our episode, Sarah and I talk about there's actually a really good reason to have a board and refreshing your thinking, reminding yourself about the role of the board. And this is a great time for you to do this, Dave. You know, that that might be something that's helpful. Yeah, I see the need for it. So we're, yep. we're, we're all going down the same path. Awesome. <laughs> You're going to do great. And and folks, our hour is almost up. So towards the end of every podcast episode, and we hope you all subscribe. We hope you will um, become loyal listeners. It's free. It's free. It's free learning. (laughs) So please join us. Nonprofitradioshow.com is our website. This will be aired in about a month. So that's another reason. But anyway, at the end of an episode, we always have a word of the week. And it gets us thinking about issues in new ways. And we're going to do a twist on this now. As you look forward to the fall, what word do you want to remember to guide you forward, to lift you up, to inspire you? This is the word that would be on a sticky note on your computer, for example. The word that you remember when times get tough. So, Sarah, I hand it to you. All right. Well, you know, we, as as we said at the very, very beginning, we believe that nonprofit organizations are doing incredible work, and we are absolutely certain that each one of you are. We hope that you will take away from today um, some practical tips and tools that make your life a little easier. But most of all, we hope you take away this idea that you're not alone. Uh, that you work with a whole group of people who share a passion for their own mission in the same way that you share a passion for yours, that tend to overwork themselves and get concerned and lay awake at night about the mission and the movement that they're trying to build. But at their core are all people who care about each other and who want to see each other succeed. So I can tell already that in Idaho, the nonprofit community has totally got this. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider sharing the podcast and rating us on your favorite podcast site. Your support is the best way for us to reach more people. We invite you to look at the show notes at nonprofitradioshow.com for ideas on how to bring these conversations into your organization or to tell us what you'd like to hear next. Nonprofit Radio Show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production are provided by Margaret Mepp-Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree. Together, we are inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities. 